Hello, my name is Isaac, and today I will be reading Percy Jackson and the Last Olympian. Uh, before we begin this episode, I just want to uh, thank you guys so much for the recent support. We uh, a couple days ago we recently hit the uh, highest downloads we've gotten in one day ever, um, and we smashed it about a week ago. We hit seventy-two, which was beating our previous record, 68, and then we got, like, three days after that, we hit 60-something, and then we hit 40, like, 38, and then we went up to 158, maybe even 160, so I just want to thank you guys so much, and the day after that, we hit 130, so, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's keep pushing. Yesterday was 40, that's still an insane number. Uh, two weeks ago, that would have been, like, my second highest ever. So, <laughs> let's keep going, guys. Without further ado, let's get on with the chapter. Chapter 4. We burn a metal shroud. I dreamed Rachel Elizabeth Dare was throwing darts at my picture. She was standing in her room. Okay, back up. I have to explain that Rachel doesn't have a room. She has a top floor of her family's mansion, which is a renovated brown brownstone in brooklyn her room is a huge loft with industrial lighting and a floor-to-ceiling windows it's about twice as big as my mom's apartment some alt rock was blaring from her paint-covered booze uh docking system as far as i could tell rachel's only rule about music that there was no two songs on her ipod could sound the same and they all had to be strange she wore a kimono kimono and her hair was fizzy frizzy like she'd been sleeping her bed was messed up sheets hung over a bunch of artists easels dirty clothes and an old energy bar wrappers were strewn around the room but when you've got a room that big the mess doesn't look so bad out of the window you could see the entire nighttime skyline of manhattan the picture she was attacking was a painting of me standing over the giant Antaeus. Rachel had painted it a couple of months ago. My expression in the uh, picture was fierce, disturbing. Even, even so, it was hard to tell if I was a good guy or the bad guy. But Rachel said it looked like I looked like that just after the battle. Damn he gods, Rachel muttered as she threw another dart at the canvas. And those stupid quests... Most of the darts bounced off, but a few stuck. One hung off my chin like a goatee. Some, someone pounded on her bedroom door. Rachel? A man shouted. What in the world are you doing? Turn off that- Rachel scooped up her remote control and shut off the music. Come in. Her dad walked in, scowling and blinking from the light. He had rust-colored hair, and a little darker than Rachel's. It was smushed on one side, like he'd lost a fight on his, with his pillow. His blue silk pajamas had WD monogrammed on the pocket. Seriously, who has monogrammed pajamas? What is going on? He demanded. It's three in the morning. Couldn't sleep, Rachel said. On the painting, a dart fell off my face. Rachel hid the rest of her dirt behind her back, but Mr. Dare noticed. So, I take it your friend isn't coming to St. Thomas? That's what Mr. Dare called me. Never Percy, just your friend, or young man, if he was talking to me, which he rarely did.
Rachel knit her eyebrows. I don't know. We leave in the morning, her dad said. If he hasn't made up his mind yet, he's probably not coming, Rachel said miserably. Happy? Mr. Dare put his hand behind his back. He faced the room with a stern expression. I imagine he did that in the bedroom, the boardroom of his land development country and made his employees nervous. Are you still having bad dreams? He asked. Headaches? Rachel threw her darts on the floor. I should never have told you about that. I'm your father, he said. I'm worried about you. Worried about the family's reputation, Rachel muttered. Fam her father didn't react. Maybe he'd heard that com comment before, or maybe because it was true. We could call Dr. Arkwright, Arkwright he suggested. He helped you get through the death, death of your hamster. I was six then, she said. And no, Dad, I don't need a therapist. It's just... She shook her head helplessly. Her father stopped in front of the windows. He gazed at the New York skyline as if he owned it, which wasn't, which wasn't true. He owned part of it. It will be good for you to get away, he decided. You've had some unhealthy influences. I'm not going to Clarion Ladies Academy, Rachel said. My friends are none of your business. Mr. Dare smiled, but it wasn't a warm smile. It was more like, someday, more like, someday you'll realize how silly you sound. Try to get some sleep, he urged. We'll be at the beach by tomorrow night. It'll be fun. Fun, Rachel repeated. Lots of fun. Her father exited the room. He left the door open behind him. Rachel stared at the portrait of me. Then she walked to the easel next to it, which was covered in a sheet. I hope they're dreams, she said. She uncovered the easel. It was a hasty charcoal sketch, but Rachel was a good artist. The picture was definitely Luke as a young boy. He was about nine years old, with a wide grin and no scar on his face. I had no idea how Rachel could have known what he looked like back then, but the portrait was so good I had a feeling she wasn't guessing. From what I knew about Luke's life, which wasn't much, the picture showed him just before he found out he was a half-blood and ran away from home. Rachel stared at the portrait. Then she uncovered the next easel. The picture was even more disturbing. It showed the Empire State Building with lightning all around it. In the distance, a dark storm was brewing, with a huge hand coming out of the clouds. At the base of the, of the building, a crowd had gathered, but it wasn't a normal crowd of tourists or pedestrians. Saw spears, javelins, and banners. The trappings of an army. Percy, Rachel muttered as, muttered as if she knew I was listening. What is going on? The dream faded, and the last thing I remembered was, I wish I, uh, wishing I could answer Rachel's question. The next morning, I wanted to call her, but there was no phones at camp. Dionysus and Chiron didn't need a landline. They just called Olympus with the iris message whenever they needed something. And then demigods use, and when demigods use cell phones, the signal, uh, ignite every monster within a hundred miles. It's like sending up a flare. Flare. Here I am. Please rearrange my face. Even within the safe borders of cap, that's not the kind of advertising we wanted to do. Most demigods, except for Annabeth and a few others, didn't even own cell phones. And I definitely couldn't tell Annabeth, hey, let me borrow your phone so I can call Rachel to make the call. I would have to leave camp and walk several miles to the nearest convenience store. Even if Chiron let me go, by the time I got there, Rachel would have been on the plane to St. Thomas. I ate a depressing breakfast by myself at the Poseidon table. I kept staring at the fissure in the marble floor, where two years ago, Nico had banished a bunch of bloodthirsty skeletons to the underworld. Memory didn't 
exactly improve my appetite. After breakfast, Annabeth and I walked down to inspect the cabins. Actually, it was Annabeth's turn for inspection. My morning chore was to sort through reports for Kyra. Since we both hated our jobs, we decided to do them together so it'd be more, wouldn't be so hideous. We started at the Poseidon cabin, which was basically just me. I'd made my bunk bed that morning. Well, sort of. It straight at the minotaur horn on my wall. So I gave myself a four out of five. And Beth made a face. You're being generous. She used the end of her pencil to pick up an old pair of her running shorts. I snatched them away. Hey, give me a break. I don't want Tyson cleaning up after me this summer. Three out of five, Annabeth said. I knew better than to argue, so we moved along. I tried to skim through Chiron's stack of reports as we walked. There were messages from demigods, nature spirits, and satyrs all across the country writing about the latest monster activity, but they were pretty depressing, and my ADHD brain did not like concentrating on depressing stuff. Like battles were... Little battles were raging everywhere. Camp recruitment was down to zero. Satyrs were having trouble finding new demigods and bringing them to ha- to Camp Half-Blood Hill because so many monsters were roaming the country. Our friend Thalia, who, Thalia, who'd led the hunters of Artemis, hadn't been heard from in months. And if Artemis knew what had happened to them, she wasn't sharing information. We visited the Aphrodite cabin, which of course got a 5 out of 5. The beds were perfectly made. The clothes in everyone's footlocker were color-coordinated. Fresh flowers bloomed on the windsill. I wanted to dock a point because there was a whole place reeked of designer perfume, but Annabeth ignored me. Great job as usual, Selena, Annabeth said. Selena nodded listlessly. The wall behind her bed was decorated with pictures of Beckendorf. She sat on her bunk with a bunch of a box of chocolate on her lap. And I reminded her, I remembered that her dad owned a chocolate store in the village, which was how he'd caught the attention of Aphrodite. Want a bonbon? Selene asked. My dad sent them. He thought, he thought they would cheer me up. Are they any good? I asked. She shook her head. They taste like cor- cardboard. I didn't have anything against cardboard, so I tried one. And Beth passed. He promised to see Selena later and kept going. As we crossed the commons area, a fight broke out between the Ares and Apollo's cabin. Some Apollo campers, armed with firebombs, flew over the Ares cabin in a chariot pulled by two pegasi. I'd never seen the chariot before, but it looked like a pretty sweet ride. Soon the roof of the Ares cabin was burning, and naiads from the canoe lake rushed over to blow water on it. When Then the Ares campers called down a curse, and all the Apollo's kids' arrows turned to rubber. The Apollo kids kept shooting at the Ares kids, but the arrows bounced off. Two archers ran by, chased by an angry Ares kid who was yelling in poetry. Curse me, eh? I'll make you pay. I don't want to rhyme all day. Annabeth sighed. That, not that again. Last time Apollo cursed a cabin, it took a week for the rhyming couplets to wear off. I shuddered. Apollo was god of poetry as well as archery, and I'd heard him recite in person. I'd almost rather get shot by an arrow. What are they fighting about anyway? I asked. Annabeth ignored me while she scribbled on her inspection scroll, giving both cabins a one out of five. I found myself staring at her, which is stupid since I'd seen her a billion times. She was about the same height as me this summer, which was a relief. Still, she seemed so much more mature. I was kind of in- it was kind of intimidating. I mean, sure, she'd always been cute. She was starting to look seriously beautiful. 
Finally, she said, that flying chariot. What? You asked about what they were fighting about. Oh, oh, right. They captured it in a raid in Philadelphia last week. Some of Luke's demigods were there with that flying chariot. The Apollo cabin seized it during battle, but Ares' cabin led the raid. So they've been fighting about it, whoever gets it, since. We ducked as Michael used chariot dive-bombed an Ares camper. The Ares camper tried to stab him and cuss him out in rhyming couplets. He is pretty creative about rhyming those cuss words. We're fighting for our lives, I said, and they're bickering about some stupid chariot. They'll get over it, Annabeth said. Clarice will come to her senses. I wasn't so sure. That didn't sound like the Clarice I knew. I scanned more reports, and we expect inspected a few more cabins. Demeter got a four, Hephaestus got a three, and probably should have gotten lower, Beckon, but with Beckendorf being gone and all, we cut them some slack. Hermes got a two, which is no surprise. All campers who didn't know their godly parentage were shoved into the Hermes cabin, and since gods were kind of forgetful, that cabin was always overcrowded. Finally, we got to the Athena cabin, which was orderly and clean as usual. Books were straightened on the shelves, the armor was polished, battle camps, battle maps, and blueprints decorated the walls. Only Annabeth's bunk was messy. It was covered in papers, and her silver laptop was still running. Vlas! Vlakas! Annabeth muttered, which was basically calling herself an idiot in Greek. Her second-in-command, Malcolm, suppressed a smile. Yeah, um, we cleaned everything else. Didn't know if it was safe to move your notes. That was probably smart. Annabeth had a bronze knife that she reserved just for monsters and people who messed with her stuff. Michael grinned at me. We'll wait outside while you finish inspection. The Athena campers filled out the door, filed out the door while Annabeth cleaned up her bunk. I shuffled uneasily and pretended to go through some more reports. Technically, even on inspection, it was against camp rules of two campers of the opposite sex to be, like, alone in a cabin. That rule had come up a lot when Selena and Beckendorf started dating. And I know some of you might be thinking, aren't all demigods related on the godly side, and doesn't that make dating gross? But the thing is, the godly side of your family doesn't count genetically speaking. Since gods don't have DNA, a demigod would never think about dating someone who had the same godly parent. Like two kids from Athena Cabin? No way. But a daughter of Aphrodite and a son of Hephaestus? They're not related, so it's no problem. Anyway, for some strange reason, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about it, this, as I watched Annabeth straighten up. She'd closed her laptop, which she'd been giving as a gift from the inventor Deadless last summer. I cleared my throat. So, get any good info from that thing? Too much, she said. Deadless had so many ideas, I couldn't spend, I could spend 50 years just trying to figure them all out. Yeah, I muttered. That would be fun. She shuffled her papers, mostly drawings of buildings and a bunch of handwritten notes. I knew she wanted to be an architect someday. But I'd learned the hard way not to ask what she was working on. She'd start talking about angles and load-bearing joints until my eyes glazed over. You know, she brushed her hand behind her ear, like she does when she's nervous. This whole thing about Beckendorf and Selena kind of makes you think about what's important, about losing people who are important. I nodded. My brain started seizing on little random details, like the fact that she was still wearing those silver owl earrings from her dad, who was a brainiac military professor in San Francisco. Um, yeah, I stammered. Like, 
is is everything cool with uh, with your, with your family? Okay, really stupid question, but hey, I was nervous. Annabeth looked disappointed, but she nodded. My dad wanted me to wanted to take me to Greece this summer. She said wistfully. I've always wanted to see the Parthenon. I remembered. She managed to smile. Yeah, that's okay. There will be other summers, right? As soon as I said it, I realized it was boneheaded com- comment. I was facing the end of my days within a week. Olympus might fall. The age of the gods really... If the age of the gods really did end, the world as we knew it would dissolve into chaos. Demigods would be hunted to extinction. There would be no more summers for us. Annabeth stared at her inspection scroll. Three out of five, she muttered. Her sloppy head counselor. Come on, let's finish your reports and then get back to Chiron. On the way to the big house... We read the last report, which was handwritten on a maple leaf from a satyr in Canada. If possible, the note made me feel even worse. Dear Grover, I read aloud, wood outside Toronto attacked by giant evil badger. Tried to do as you suggested in summer power in a, the power of Pan. No effect. Many naiads and tree, many naiads trees destroyed. Retreating, retreating to Ottawa. Please advise. Where are you? Gleason Hedge. Protector. Okay, so, um, just quick thing before we keep on. I noticed this little Easter egg, uh, when I read the book for the second time. Um, yeah. R- remember Gleason Hedge, uh, for the next series, Heroes of Olympus. Gleason Hedge. Um, yeah, the satyr. Remember that. It's gonna be a fun thing to remember. Moving on. Annabeth grimished. You haven't heard anything from him, even with your empathy link? I shook my head dejectedly. Ever since last summer when the god Pan had died, our friend Grover had been drifting further and further away. The Council of Cloven Elders treated him like an outcast, but Grover still traveled all over the East Coast, trying to spread the word about Pan and convince nature spirits to protect their own little bits of the wild. He'd only come back to camp a few times to see his girlfriend Juniper. Last I'd heard from him, he was in Central Park organizing the dryads, but nobody had seen him or heard from him in two months. We tried to send Iris messages. They never got through. I'd had an empathy link with Grover, but I hoped it would and I hoped it would work if anything bad happened to him. Grover had told me that if he died, the empathy link might kill me too. But I wasn't sure if that was true or not. I wondered if he was still in Manhattan. Then I thought about my dream of Rachel's sketch. Dark clouds closing in on the city, an army gathered around the Empire State Building. Annabeth. I stopped her by her theater ball court. I knew I was asking for trouble, but I didn't know who else to trust. Plus, I'd always depended on Annabeth for advice. Listen, I had this dream about, um, Rachel. I told her the whole thing, even though the weird picture of Luke is a child. For a while, she didn't say anything. Then she rolled up her inspection scroll so tight she ripped it. What do you want me to say? I'm not sure. You're the best strategist I know. If you were Coronos planning this war, what would you do next? I'd use Typhon as a distraction, then I'd hit Olympus directly while the gods were in the west. Just like in Rachel's picture. Percy, she said, her voice tight. Rachel is just a mortal. But what if the dream is true? Those other titans, they said Olympus would be destroyed in a matter of days. They said they had plenty of other challenges. What's with that picture of Luke as a kid? We'll just have to be ready. How? I said. Look. Look at our camp. We can't even stop fighting each other. 
Now I'm supposed to get my stupid soul reaped. She threw down her scroll. I knew you. we should have shown you the prophecy. We shouldn't have shown you the prophecy. Her voice was angry and hurt. All it did was scare you. You run away from things when you're scared. I stared at her, completely stunned. Me? Run away? She got right up my face. Yes, you. You're a coward, Percy Jackson. We were nose to nose. Her eyes were red, and I suddenly realized maybe she called me a coward, wasn't talking about the prophecy. If you don't like our chances, she said, maybe you should go on vacation with Rachel. Annabeth, if you don't like that, that's, if you don't like our company, that's not fair. She pushed past me and stormed towards the strawberry fields. She hit the teether ball as she passed and sent it spinning angrily around the pole. I like to say my day got better from there. Of course, it didn't. That afternoon, we had an assembly at the campfire to burn Beckendorf's burial shroud and say our goodbyes. Even the Ares in Apollo's cabin called a temporary truce to attend. Beckendorf's shroud is made out of metal links like chainmail. I didn't see how it would burn, but the fates must have been helping out. The metal melted in the fire and turned to gold smoke that rose into the sky. The campfire flames always rejected the camper's mood, and today they turned black. I hoped the Beckendorf spirit would end up in Elysium. Maybe he'd even choose to be reborn and try for Elysium in three different lifetimes, so he'd reach the Isles of the Blessed, which was like the Underworld's ultimate party headquarters. If anyone deserved it, Beckendorf did. And Beth left me without a word. Most of the other campers drifted off to their afternoon activities. I just stood there, staring at the dying fire. Selena sat nearby, crying while Clarice and her boyfriend, Chris Rodriguez, tried to comfort her. Finally, I got up the nerve to walk to, to walk out over and talk to her. Hey, Selena, I'm really sorry. She sniffled. Clarice glared at me. Joe always glares at everyone. Chris, who would barely look at me. He'd been one of Luke's men until Carice rescued him from the labyrinth last summer, and I guess he still felt guilty about it. I cleared my throat. Selena, you know Beckendorf carried your picture. He looked at it right before we went into battle. It meant a lot to him. You made the last year the best of his life. Selena sobbed. Good work, Percy, Clarice muttered. No, it's all right, Selena said. Thank Thank you, Percy. I should go. You want company? Clarice asked. She and Selina shook her head and ran off. She's stronger than she looks, Clarice muttered almost to herself. She'll survive. You could help with that, I suggested. You could honor Beckendorf's memory by fighting with us. Clarice went for her knife, but it wasn't there anymore. She'd thrown it on the ping-pong table in the big house. Not my, ta- not my problem, she growled. My cabin doesn't get honor. I don't fight. I noticed she wasn't speaking in rhymes. Maybe she hadn't been around when her cabin mates got cursed. Or maybe she had a way of breaking the spell. With a chill, I wondered if Clarice would be Kronos's spy at camp. Was that why she was, her, she was keeping her cabin out of the fight? But as much as I disliked Clarice, spying for Titans didn't seem like her style. All right, I told her. I didn't want to bring this up, but you owe me one. You'd be rotting in a Cyclops cave if you weren't in the sea of monsters if it weren't for me. She clenched her jaw. Any other favorite, Brissy. Not this. The Ares cabin has been dished too many times. 
Don't think I don't know what people say behind me behind my back. About me behind my back. I wanted to say, well, it's true, but I bit my tongue. So you're just going to let Kronos crush us? I asked. If you want my help so much, tell Apollo to give us the chariot. You're such a big baby. She charged me, but Chris got between us. Whoa, guys, he said. Clarice, you know, maybe he's got a point. She sneered at him. Not you, too. She trudged off with Chris at her heels. Hey, wait, I just meant Clarice. Wait. I watched as the last sparks from Beckendorf's fire curled into the afternoon sky. Then I headed towards the sword fighting arena. I needed a break, and I wanted to see an old friend. And that was the end of chapter four. I hope you guys enjoyed me listening to me read this chapter. It was actually, um, yeah, usually I don't read 15-page chapters all in one, but this time I am, was a little uh, cuckoo, stupid, and uh, didn't look at the chapter beforehand, so now I have been sitting for 25 minutes straight reading. My voice is a little sore. I have school tomorrow, as most other people listening to this too, so uh, yeah, I'm definitely gonna enjoy my uh, Spanish. I'm not gonna be very good at it, probably, because I'm gonna be like talking like this. Um, yeah. Why am I so awkward after these episodes? Okay. Um, love you guys so much for the support and everything else. Bye. Isaac?